Leo Sprinkle. Well, hello, Leo. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Yes, in, um, I had we had just a couple minutes to talk ahead of the show, and I okay. think I mentioned to you know, could you get a little bit closer to the phone? The show producer is saying you just need to be a little bit closer, if you would. Uh, how is this? Is that better? Oh, I can tell. Yes, that's that's real good. Thank you. Okay. I have heard your name since I started looking at this topic. <laughs> your name comes up all the time. Uh, can I've been you, around a long time. <laughs> yeah. Um, can you go into your background, if you would, how you got interested in the topic? And sure. basically, I'd really be interested, um, you know, first of all, how you got interested. But what, what was the first, um, you know, case or whatever that you looked into? Yeah, I got interested because of my own experiences huh. uh, when I was... Uh, a child, I had experiences I couldn't understand, explain, you know, nightmares. And later, as I got older, I was able to understand more about what had happened. But consciously, the first uh, uh, event was uh, in 1949 when a buddy and I at the University of Colorado, we were students there, we had a sighting. We were walking along the campus near the Arts and Science uh, building. And we were playing this little game because we'd heard a speaker talk about science and reality and what's true and what's not true. And so we were playing this little game. Well, what do you see over there? Well, I call it the tree. Well, how do you describe it? Well, it's got trunk and it's got branches and it's got leaves. Uh, I think it has roots, but I can't see them because they're under the ground. And then my friend looked at me and said, what do you see over there? And what was it? Well, I looked at it. It wasn't an airplane, it wasn't a balloon. It looked elliptical, like a lens, <clears throat> and there was a light gleaming on the edge as if the sunlight was reflecting on it. So we talked about it, but we didn't want to tell anybody else because flying saucers in 1949 weren't uh, readily accepted by the public. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> then my wife and I had a sighting after I came back from Germany. I'd been, when I graduated, I went into... U.S. Army overseas and came back and in graduate school at the University of Colorado Boulder. And we were coming back from Denver one evening on top of the hill looking over the valley and we saw this strange light. It would hover and it would move, it would hover and move. Well, it wasn't an airplane. Um, we didn't know what it was. Um, we saw several car lights down below. I assumed other people were uh, stopping like we did and getting out and looking at it. And then after a while, it went to north and disappeared from view. But the feeling I had inside was, oh, okay, twice now. Mm. <laughs> I've been given an opportunity to see something anomalous. So uh, I knew that I had to study the phenomenon. I also knew that it'd be uh, lonely and uh, perceived huh. as weird. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. So I said, "Okay, let's get a doctorate, <clears throat> and uh, you know, that way, instead of being crazy, you're just merely eccentric." And so, <laughs> uh, so I went to, went to the University of uh, Missouri uh, and uh, graduated with a PhD, doctorate in philosophy, uh, especially in counseling psychology. In 1961, went to the University of North Dakota, and uh, after I had the uh, results of the dissertation published, I, I studied the permanence of vocational interests in men based upon measured uh, <clears throat> vocational interests. 
after I had that published, well, then I started doing UFO studies. Uh, I wrote to various people. Can you pardon uh, me? Can you tell me approximately what year that that was right after? Yeah, yeah, uh, nineteen sixty-two. Uh, I went there in nineteen sixty-one when I graduated uh, from um, University of Missouri, and went to North Dakota, and so it's sixty-two. 63, I became uh, invested in uh, UFO research. I, I developed a little uh, survey asking people their background, educational, vocational background, and then what they saw, what they observed, how they responded to it. Uh, <clears throat> so I got a, several sets of uh, uh, surveys, including Betty and Barney Hill, uh, because they're case came out about that time right yeah and uh then uh in uh, uh 64 and 60 uh, 62 63 for uh, i not only started surveying people but i joined organizations i joined what was called apro aerial yep. phenomena research organization out of arizona jim and coral Renzen. And uh, NICAP, uh, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. Those two organizations uh, later folded, and so I, uh, I consulted with people in MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, plus other groups. So it's been an interesting history. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I have I have a lot of questions, but I just want to say to people who are listening live, a couple things. Um, you can jump over to podcastufo.com and on the left, uh, right sidebar, you can jump in our chat room and ask um, Dr. Leo Sprinkle some questions. Also, you can call into the show if you'd like, and that's 603-967-4030. And um, I also forgot to uh, mention that we are going to be talking in Hour 2 more about... Um, we're going to go off the UFO topic a little bit in Hour 2 and talk about some other things that... Um, uh, Dr. Sprinkle has been interested in um, f- free energy ideas. Uh, N- Niccolo, uh, uh, Nikola Tester, uh, Tesla, and some other things um, as well. So um, now, going back to Betty and Barney Hill, did you actually invest investigate that case? Yes, they were willing to fill out uh, information about their experience, and then later I had the opportunity. Uh, to uh, talk with them on a New York uh, TV program in 1966. <clears throat> Interesting thing happened. Uh, Dr. Carl Sagan and others were there. <clears throat> we were interviewing uh, Betty and Barney Hill, and uh, at one point, uh, uh, Dr. Carl Sagan uh, turned to Betty Hill. He said, now, Mrs. Hill, he said, you say that your memory based upon the hypnosis session with Dr. Benjamin Simon. He was a, a psychiatrist uh, that they went to to help them understand more about their experience. He said, you say you remember being on an examining table and uh, the extraterrestrial was examining you uh, with a probe uh, in your uh, navel? And she said, yes. And, and he kind of smiled in, in his charming way. And he said, now, we're all amateur psychologists here. And then he glanced at me and he said, oh, I'm sorry about that. You know, I said, that's all right. My friends think of me as an amateur psychologist. <laughs> he was about to tell her and the 
viewing audience that there was a psychological explanation for her experience. I thought that was arrogant. Uh, so even though he was charming when he did it, uh, I still feel like it was an indication of how he was rejecting what she claimed was a, a physical onboard experience. So that taught me something along with that same year, I was at a New York TV program, <clears throat> Dr. G. Allen Hynek, uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée, uh, we were with uh, some uh, astronomers from Harvard, um, and uh, it was intriguing because the uh, uh, the name of the TV program was Flying Saucers, a Fact or Fiction. In those days, the game was played between two groups of people. One, were, uh, one group was labeled skeptics, and one group was labeled uh, believers. And the believers, uh, we were kind of muddled-headed, and we didn't really know what we were talking about. We didn't know astronomical phenomena, etc. <clears throat> Whereas the skeptics were portrayed as not only intelligent and educated, but also as much more in tune with uh, what was going on. Well, over the years, the game changed from skeptics versus believers to skeptics and debunkers. We found out that some people were paid to uh, make light of this and to make people afraid to talk about their experiences. Whereas some of the uh, believers were also knowers. Some of us had been on board craft and talked with ETs. And so uh, the game changed. <clears throat> and then, of course, it was much more difficult to talk about that publicly uh, because the, the Air Force representatives and others uh, really held the sway. Um, and it wasn't until just more recently that uh, people are beginning, beginning to not only be observers, um, but witnesses. They not only uh, see flying saucers and they, they see extraterrestrials, but they also testify to their experience. And then some of the witnesses are also reporters. They're writing their stories and uh, uh, giving people information about what they have experienced. So that's a very exciting trend uh, going on now. Wow. Um, we have a couple of questions up on the message board. And again, people are welcome to call in if they want, 603-967-4030. Um, they want to know, um, were you the first um, psychologist to use hypnosis with abductees? As far as I know, <clears throat> there may have been uh, psychologists in the U.S. Air Force uh, <clears throat> who were using hypnosis, but unknown you wow. know, publicly. Uh, that's a possibility, so I don't know whether on the first, but uh, of course, Dr. Benjamin Simon, he was a psychiatrist, and he yeah. worked with Betty in Barney Hill, 61, uh, and I didn't start hypnosis until <clears throat> in the middle 60s, after I had uh, gathered information from uh, many people, then I uh, realized in talking with Betty and Barney Hill at that TV program in 66, that uh, Dr. Simon had helped him with hypnosis. Oh, well, I know hypnosis, so I'll help people. And so I started working with a, a guy in Boulder, Colorado, about his experience. And then um, when Herb Shermer, I don't know if you've heard that name, but he was a patrolman for the uh, 
Nebraska State Highway, and he uh, went to the University of Colorado during the Condon Committee. I think that was in 68. <clears throat> I had an opportunity to interview him and see if hypnosis would be helpful. He was uh, nervous because it was on, you know, televised, and I, and so we got some information, and later he worked with another hypnotist and got more information. So that was probably one of the earlier uh, hypnosis sessions, uh, public, publicly known. Yeah, um, the show producer is asking you if you could move a little bit closer to the mic again. Okay, I'll try to do that. All right. I know it's always hard to stay in the habit, um, but um, did you... Um, did you ever speak to Dr. Simon about uh, Betty and, the Betty and Barney Hill? No, I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, just talked with them on the uh, TV program. I see. Okay. And um, do you remember the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you said it's a possibility that in the Air Force um, someone may have been using hypnotism. Would that uh, possibly be in either, like, Project Sign or Blue, uh, Blue Book or anything like that, or a different That's part? That's a possibility. <clears throat> there have been people uh, who are called insiders who have talked about their experience, uh, <clears throat> and some people have said that there were not only uh, dead bodies on the Roswell crash, <clears throat> but also um, there uh, were uh, some entities who were alive. <clears throat> so it may be that uh, there were psychologists or other trained professionals who uh, interviewed the ET. In that regard, uh, <clears throat> more recently, there's some interesting uh, people who have combined their experiences. There's a woman named Jacqueline Smith out of Ohio. She She's written a couple of books on... Uh, animal communication. There's a woman named Judy Carroll from Australia, and a woman that I interviewed uh, many years ago, Sonny Sato. She lives in Colorado. And Ulrich, uh, editor of a, a little journal called uh, Star Beacon, <clears throat> introduced me to her. She had described her memory of a previous lifetime when she was an extraterrestrial and uh, she's written a couple of books on, on her uh, memories, one called Stranded on Earth, um, uh, where she felt that she was an extraterrestrial, a gray, what some people call a zeta, zeta a little gray uh, humanoid, uh, piloting um, craft that crashed in Roswell, New Mexico. Well, now <clears throat> Jacqueline Smith and Judy Carroll have kind of teamed up. They're both uh, bright people. I haven't met uh, Judy Carroll, but she's hoping to come to the U.S. from Australia either this year or next year. And um, uh, they are uh, recalling what they feel were uh, past lives as crew members on craft that crashed in Roswell. It's intriguing to me because they seem to have not only similar memories, but they also seem to have similar intent, and that is, like so many people who are so-called ET experiencers or starseed or contactees or uh, whatever one calls themselves, they seem to have the intent that they are here to assist humanity to not only recognize its past uh, from the stars, 
but that now we're ready to start moving back into the stars. And so they want to be on the side of those who uh, are peaceful rather than those who are exploiting uh, what uh, seems to be the um, resources of the planet and uh, what seem to be the uh, main human interest. <clears throat> Some people talk about uh, what's called the Anunnaki, the uh, ancient uh, mm -hmm. uh, ETs who came down from the sky. Uh, according to this view, these ancient uh, uh, ETs were both uh, good and bad and from the standpoint of humanity, both uh, uh, the Martians who supposedly um, set up shop in Atlantis, northern uh, <clears throat> hemisphere, and then the Venusians who supposedly uh, had a civilization, Lemuria, in the South Pacific, uh, two different groups, <clears throat> and according to Zachariah Sitchin, who uh, was born in Russia, grew up in uh, England, and for a while was living in the U.S., he he was one among the few who could read the ancient script or the symbols of those um, ancient scrolls, and according to his interpretation, the um, uh, Venusians settled uh, when now. When Lemuria went down, they settled in uh, uh, southern Egypt, <clears throat> high up in the mountains, and the Martians uh, <clears throat> settled in um, northern Egypt, down in the uh, valley next to the Mediterranean Sea. So according to that uh, theory or that history, there were both uh, uh, remnants of, of Atlantis Martian, and Mars <clears throat> and remnants of uh, uh, Venus uh, and Lemuria in uh, Egypt. Well, then along comes uh, uh, one of the kings, King Tut, uh, <clears throat> who claims that there is only one God. Uh, and the Jews, uh, uh, following Moses, uh, had the same uh, view. Uh, as you know from the commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. <laughs> mean, meaning that on earth, the big god was Jehovah, <clears throat> the E.T. who had the most uh, strength and most authority compared to the other gods. Uh, it's an interesting question that maybe someday we can sit down with uh, E.T.s and ask them if uh, that's the way it happened. <laughs> Yeah, this is all speculation. There's uh, there's some interesting uh, ideas out there for sure. Um, let's see. We have another message up on the on the board here, but I wanted to say that I actually know someone. I'm I'm kind of close to someone that um, told me that when she was a ever since she was a little girl, and still continuing to this day, she feels like. She is from another planet, and I thought, uh -huh. and in every other aspect about this person, she, she's perfectly normal that I've always seen. It, it's really, um, um, and she never said anything to me about this until I started, you know, exploring this topic and mm -hmm. going into it. But um, she, she says, I just want to go home. <laughs> she actually says, yeah, she actually feels that way. Yeah, many people feel that they want to go home, and some people will describe their encounter with an ET as scary, frightening. 
feel like they've been examined. <clears throat> Other people feel like they are uh, being visited by uh, the home folks and <clears throat> that they are here as kind of uh, pioneers or kind of settlers to help humanity orient itself <clears throat> and return to the stars. And so uh, some of those people will say once they um, recall about what happened during the encounter, there's a feeling they had is that they wanted to go back with the uh, uh, ETs. I had a young man, football player in college, uh, who had a strange experience while he was a teenager, and uh, he wanted to remember more about it. I remember he was sitting in my chair, and the chair was being rocked back and forth, <laughs> and I was afraid that the, the chair was going to break because he oh. was a 200-pound-plus guy with his football <laughs> body and a uh, bright, nice guy, <clears throat> but his memory was not of fear. Uh, his memory was of uh, of coming down from the stairs of his friend's house, going outside, seeing a flying saucer, <clears throat> and and seeing his family. And so... His uh, feelings were of uh, sadness when they went away. Wow. Um, let's see. The message up on the board here is you mentioned early experiences um, by, you know, seeing sightings. Did you ever have any feelings of being abducted yourself? I don't call it an abduction because abduction <laughs> has various connotations. That's why J, Dr. J. Allen Hynek, this physicist, he started calling it encounters. Yeah, when I was uh, <clears throat> growing, after I'd worked with many people, I went through hypnosis with another psychologist, went back to a five-year-old experience where I felt like I was on board, talking to extraterrestrial, <clears throat> tall guy in uh, kind of a spacesuit, his a hand on my right shoulder, <clears throat> and he was saying to me, Leo, learn to read and write well. When you grow up, you can help other people learn more about their purpose. So I feel like I've uh, been trained or guided or taught, whatever you want to call it, uh, as part of my history. Now, you're, you, you have a, um, a schooling background. Um, you were involved in the investigation. Were you at that Throughout all this, did you also have a career going on in teaching or whatever it is? Uh, you know, I know philosophy is kind of a narrow field as far as um, what you do in the world. But did you ever stay in that uh, field yeah, of was, study? Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, trained as a psychologist. Oh, okay. I went to the University of North Dakota with both teaching classes and uh, counseling experiences. <clears throat> then I, uh, in 64... That was in 61 when I was in North Dakota. In 64, I uh, came to the University of Wyoming. Uh, I was uh, primarily teaching that time what they called a guidance institute. Then uh, after that uh, first year, I was in both the uh, psychology department and the um, uh, what they called uh, counseling and guidance. Uh, in 65, and then I started in the counseling center. Uh, for 13 years, I was uh, director of the counseling center with both uh, administrative duties as well as teaching and, and uh, counseling. Uh, most of the courses that I taught were graduate students. Uh, the first, uh, although I did have some undergraduate uh, large classes that I 
caught from time to time. So, uh, uh, but the later years, uh, the uh, the director of uh, student life, the dean of students, a uh, good Christian man, very bright man, but he was upset by my UFO research. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. when I tried to go from assistant to associate professor of psychology, that was given. Tried to go from associate professor to full professor, <clears throat> and I was in front of all of the uh, Department of uh, Psychology faculty, dozen or so guys, <clears throat> and uh, my application was rejected. One huh. uh, fellow tried to uh, help me. He said, now, Leo, if you'll do this kind of a study and that kind of a study, then you can get those research results published, and then you can be professor. I said, well, I have my own uh, interests. He, he looked at me kind of puzzled. He said, this UFO, um, is, is this like a hobby? <laughs> I laughed, and I said, no, it's more of a compulsion. <laughs> and he, he said, oh, you're serious. I said, oh, yeah, I, I joke, but I'm serious. This is what I do. And uh, it uh, was. It got to the point where the dean uh, brought me in in front of somebody else, and, and in, in writing <clears throat> and in person, he told me that uh, I should no longer engage in... Um, UFO research or reincarnation research during office hours, hmm. because I was a professor, which meant I could, uh, <clears throat> you know, do any kind of research I wanted to do. But I was also a staff member of the counseling center. I had uh, resigned as uh, director and as just a staff psychologist there. And uh, <clears throat> so I said, "Oh, okay. I know how to play this game. I'll wait until five o'clock before I do my UFO or reincarnation research." For example, I was working with a young man who was a cutter. He uh, <clears throat> would take a razor blade and he would slice his, mm-hmm. his arm or his shoulder. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> when the residence hall counselor uh, saw him <laughs> bleeding one time, he referred the young man to me. This young man was so bright, his scores, uh, academic uh, aptitude test scores, were much higher than the average student there, much higher than the average professor. He was much brighter than I am. And uh, so we sat down. <clears throat> I looked at his uh, case history. He'd been to a psychiatrist. He'd been to a couple of other psychologists. So I knew that I was going to have to do something different. I said, well, let's uh, learn self-hypnosis. He looked at me and he said, why should we learn self-hypnosis? I said, well, we know you're going to cut yourself, so we want you to be able to focus and really do a good job. Well, he had a good sense of humor, and so he laughed. He said, okay. So the more we got into self-hypnosis, <clears throat> the more we got into past lives, where he was a swordsman uh, and an excellent swordsman. He would cut others down, others would try to cut him. And so <clears throat> he had this propensity uh, to be on the defensive or on the offensive, depending on how you look at it, uh, regarding um, other people. He was so bright, he had uh, three years, he got an undergraduate degree, he was working on a law degree, he was going to become an international uh, banker <clears throat> or business person. And um, so uh, when he found out <clears throat> 
what was going on. He recognized what was happening within him. He was not only bright, he was psychic. He could sense other people and their attitude. And he would make comments showing that he knew what was going on. And sometimes if people were antagonistic, well, he would say sharp things, and they would say sharp things, and then he would uh, go back home to his residence hall room, and he would cut himself. And so we realized that the, the uh, nexus, the, the topic, the uh, what was going on was that he thought it would be better to cut himself than to cut somebody else, which is very moral. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's also a waste of razor blades and blood. So, uh, so he, uh, I encourage him to use his sharp tongue to cut other people's argument <clears throat> rather than to cut himself with a, a, a knife or a razor blade. Never did find out what happened to him, but maybe someday he'll uh, recognize that uh, he's he's using his tongue and rather than using a blade for his weapon. Right. Yeah. It really is. It was really a sad thing when when that happens. Um, let's see. I'm sorry. I had up here. Boy, I had um, I had a message and I, I just can't find it. Someone had a question. Uh, Matthew, hang on just a second. Oh, yes. Have you had any um, other encounters more recent than those two, or is that it? Oh, uh, people are calling me all the time. A young man from uh, Michigan has written written a book about his experiences uh, uh, and being a Zeta. uh, uh, I'm getting calls now. The one that was probably more interesting from a historical standpoint was Travis Walton. The Apple people, Jim and Carl Renzen, sent me to talk with him shortly after his experience. Now this uh, next um, uh, November or December, I can't remember when it is, there's going to be a conference 40 years later after his experience (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, where uh, people will be talking about uh, his book and the movie Fire in the Sky. So there, uh, I've talked to thousands of people, uh, and what's exciting to me is that more and more people are not only willing to talk confidentially, but more and more people are willing to talk openly or publicly. Right. Now, uh, Travis just had a new uh, documentary or film that just came out just very recently, I believe. It's being um, shown at a film festival, and from mm-hmm. what I understand, it's... Um, he hadn't seen. I spoke with him a, a, a maybe a month and a half ago. He hadn't oh. seen it yet, um, but he said oh. before it went on the cutting floor, before it was edited, he said they were doing a really accurate and good job. So I'll, I'll be very oh, interested in seeing that. Yeah, he was concerned about the other movie because right. he felt like there were some things that were not accurate. Yes, he's mentioned that um, to me also, but thought it was better being done than not. Um, he let oh, them, you know. To take some um, grace with that. Uh, so, those are those are kind of iconic cases. Both of the ones you have um, talked about. Did you ever speak to the Allagash people, Jim, uh, Jim and Jack Weiner, and uh, uh, Chuck uh, Foltz, or any of those people? No, I haven't talked to them. Huh? Yeah. What are some other cases that you can mention that? Uh, you looked well, into between 1980 and 2000. Uh, 
and we held a, what we called the Rocky Mountain UFO Conference at the University of Wyoming, here in Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, I left the university in 89. I couldn't handle the pressure anymore, uh, but uh, <clears throat> some people are willing to continue with the program. Dr. June Parnell, she did her dissertation with cases that I had worked with. And I worked with people who not only were willing to talk about their uh, background and their encounters, but they were also willing to take personality inventories so that we could compare their personality uh, profile with uh, the general public or the general um, examined uh, individuals. What she found was that these people are, quote, normal, unquote, in a psychological sense. In fact, in some ways, they're kind of super normal. Uh, there were some uh, profiles that showed their kind of a suspicious nature, kind of a heightened awareness. But uh, in terms of intelligence and education, more women than men were willing to complete the uh, surveys, uh, but in general, these people would be perceived as uh, a good good persons, you know, masters, or, I mean, uh, college graduate level, <clears throat> some with, uh, with graduate courses, studies, so, so not only bright and educated, but also uh, uh, with strengths of various kind, along with the uh, suspicious uh, or a skeptical nature. So uh, <clears throat> what uh, we found in that uh, series of conferences between 1980 and 2000, every year, start off with 100, 150 people, then it get be two, 300 people. Most of them were not only willing to uh, uh, share their experiences with one another, they were willing to stand up and, uh, and talk in front of everybody. I remember one, one young man, uh, he said, my knees are shaking. He said, I belong to a, a club that uh, uh, talks publicly, you know, <laughs> and yet yeah. talking about his own personal experience was a little different. And I remember a couple of women who were interesting, a mother and a daughter. <clears throat> the mother was a teacher in New Mexico. The daughter was a psychiatric social worker in California. And they came back the following year that they were there, and they said they had each talked with each other about their hybrid children. Uh, they had not been able to uh, be courageous enough to tell each other what they had experienced. Uh, as many women have said, they felt like they became pregnant, uh, but not at the human level, the... the uh, gestation period was cut short, the uh, fetus seemed to be taken away, and uh, they talked about that, and then later they came back the next year and they had written a book called Healing Shattered Reality, in which they discussed their experience. And so there, there are many courageous uh, men and women uh, who are not only willing to uh, share their experience, but also they feel that they are helping humanity to get ready for the next uh, leap in our evolution, that we will recognize not only have we come from the stars, but we're getting ready to go back to the stars. Um, we have a question I'm going to get to in just a second on the message. 
board. Okay. Well, actually, why don't I just ask it right now? And, and okay. And that is, uh, can you elaborate um, when you were talking earlier on heightened awareness? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> according to my guides, and I don't know if they know what they're talking about, but uh, uh, I'm told <clears throat> in my meditation that there is, uh, uh, some people call it a change point, some people call it transformation, uh, some people call it the day of declaration. Uh, this supposedly not only involves the uh, public political announcement that uh, ETs are here <clears throat> and that they have special energies. In fact, some experts think that that's the real cover-up. The cover-up is not of the ET presence. The cover-up is of the energy technologies that the ETs use. Because if we were to use that technology, what some people talk, talk about is Tesla, Nikola Tesla, back in the 30s, he and a colleague were driving an electric car in New York. Uh, he claimed to get energy from space and then turn it into electricity. Uh, there's a, a couple of people who have uh, developed little generators that do this. It's been patented. But this information is generally suppressed because if we had the so-called free energy, we wouldn't need to burn the fossil fuels uh, in order to uh, create electricity. So uh, uh, whatever one calls it the day of declaration or the transformation or the uh, change point, it seems that uh, some people claim that we are headed toward this point where everybody's awareness <clears throat> will be increased. Um, I'm not sure exactly what that means, <clears throat> but it uh, is described by various people as a shift in energy or a, or a increase in frequency uh, <clears throat> so that uh, um, just like if, uh, if you use the analogy of light, if we're walking around and it's kind of dim and all of a sudden the lights are turned on or, or turned up higher, then we can see what's happening. Well, the same ways, if we all raise our consciousness and recognize that we are not only human, but we're also souls, and that we're part of uh, not only the planet, <clears throat> not only the solar system, not only the galaxy, but the whole cosmos, if the... Uh, if the whole galaxy were to increase in awareness, then maybe what we call the good guy, bad guy scenario will no longer um, be the game. Uh, some people think the game is good cop, bad cop. <clears throat> that is that the uh, ETs are presenting themselves uh, both as, quote, good, unquote, and as, quote, bad, unquote. Uh, just like... Uh, if we thought of ourselves as a, we're the patriarchs on the planet, we're the ones who are suppressing women and children, we're the ones who are polluting the planet. And so the bad cops come and say, hey, <clears throat> join us, and we will give you energy, but you don't have to tell the public about it. <clears throat> and so some people say that there is a, a secret cabal that has developed flying saucers here on the planet, and uh, that they are in cahoots with the uh, greys or the um, the lizards or different people, say, uh, different groups of ETs. 
and then later find out that all the ETs are working together to help humanity grow up. Wow. Um, so that that's it. Uh, say, say goodbye, if you would, to the first hour. We're going into the second hour. Um, but... Uh, uh, Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and in the second hour, we're going to be talking more about this um, idea of uh, possible free energy. And uh, I also want to find out, um, uh, I have a couple of questions about um, abductions and abductees. So that's coming up in hour two. Hang in there just one second. We have a quick uh, music break. I never know what those clips are going to be when I click on them. Uh, that's, that's an unusual one. Yeah, that's uh, actually, I'm sure that's part of a movie um, from Carrie Lloyd Whitehouse out of Scotland. Oh. So um, the question I was wanted to ask you before we get more into um, the energy questions is, since you've been at this so long, what is your feeling about the increase in activity in the abductions or if that's even happening, or just uh, people are more free to talk about it. What, what's your opinion on that? Now, as far as I know, it's not an increase. Uh, uh, it's more of a, uh, in terms of numbers of encounters between extraterrestrial craft and and uh, uh, planetary persons. <clears throat> as far as I can tell, it seems like it's an increase in the number of people who are willing to report their experience. I've talked to a lot of people who... Uh, uh, some of whom have said they've had support from their families or their spouse or whatever, and other people who have not had support, and so they've been kind of hiding their story, uh, partly uh, <clears throat> embarrassed or frightened, but also partly not wanting to uh, cause difficulty for friends and family. Uh, now, uh, <clears throat> some people will go ahead even if it uh, is not approved by their uh, fellows or their uh, uh, gal friends, uh, it seems like more and more people are willing to talk about their experience openly. Right, and there are more groups and support than ever. But um, yes, I want to mention I want to mention ahead. one group uh, along with MUFON and the UFO Congress and other. Uh, people who've been doing work over the years. There's another group recently formed called Free F R E E. Right. Yep. That stands for Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters and uh, <clears throat> Extraterrestrial Experiences. And if people are interested and know how to go online, they can go to www.freefreexperiencer.co. Co. Co. And uh, they formed a science committee, <clears throat> they formed a survey committee, they formed a support committee. And so uh, they're trying to not only use the 
scientific and intellectual um, support for these people, but also <clears throat> trying to provide uh, emotional and social support for people who are willing to talk about their experience. Right. Um, I think it's Ray Her- Hernandez. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, we missed each other. We were in uh, Phoenix. I, I wanted to say hi to him and, and missed him out there. And uh, I actually had uh, Christina um, on the show and Nold. a few, yes, and oh. a few other people um, talking about that. It sounds like they're they're trying to do a really good job with this thing. Yes, I think so. Yeah, and the question I have about that, I do have another message, but I'll get to that later. Um, the the question I have about that is, how did these people? handle this when what were their lives like um when they had nowhere to go no one to share the trauma with very difficult for some people i've talked to people who've been hiding you know for 13 years some people um have uh, it felt like they lived dual lives double lives um but i think that that's also part of the uh um Initiation, if you will. <clears throat> I don't know if you've heard the name David Campbell, but he's a, a yes. professor mm-hmm. of uh, <clears throat> cultural um, experiences, and he has a model. <clears throat> the model is called the hero's journey. The hero is the man or woman who feels uh, pulled out of society and then pushed into challenges, personal crises, crises. <clears throat> uh, kind of tests or examinations to see how they'll do, and then they come back into society with new knowledge and with new courage. Uh, The uh, example that many people use is uh, the story of Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, and uh, the story is that here's this woman who has her companions, the tin man and the uh, straw man, and they're looking for uh, uh, success or they're looking for assistance. They think that the Wizard of Oz is going to help them. Well, they find out the Wizard of Oz is that doddering old guy, and he just hands out the certificates. It's kind of like those of us who are professors. The students are the ones who go through the hard times, and then the and then the uh, president or the dean or whoever hands out the uh, uh, certificate when the person has completed the program. So uh, if we look at it that way, then... I, I often encourage people to consider uh, shortening the process by saying, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> like, stum- like SpongeBob SquarePants, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> and say, <clears throat> okay, if, if I need to be tested some more, well, then test me. And some people will get more tests. But other people, <clears throat> there will be a shift. For example, a woman told me years ago that she was uh, remembering during her hypnosis session with me that she was on board a craft and the little gray ETs uh, had uh, examined her and it was painful and she was groaning and moaning and and at one point uh, she said her memory was that she snapped, looked at that little gray and said, stop it! I don't like this! She said, take me to your leader or, you know, take me to your supervisor or and the little gray looked startled, <clears throat> and according to her memory, walked out of the room and then came back with a tall gray who uh, uh, was feminine and much more compassionate. So 
So it's like uh, <clears throat> the, the idea is <clears throat> that as soon as we wake up and enhance our consciousness, saying, okay, we're earthlings, but we're also ETs. We've been ETs, and now we're going to go back and be extraterrestrial again in our travels. When we are ready for the journey, then the, then the, uh, the uh, consciousness shifts, and uh, we become uh, uh, more able not only to tolerate the challenges, but we know that we have handled them and we are initiated. Just like uh, a sorority or a fraternity member or, you know, in the Army, we went through basic training. <laughs> I remember when I was in the Army, uh, one guy looked at me and he saw I was handling the, the stress uh, pretty well. He was sprinkle. He said, do you like the Army? I said, no, not enough food, not enough sleep. And he said, well, you don't seem to be bothered by it. I said, this is the easiest time in my life. He said, easy, easy. He was pissed at me. <laughs> well, I grew up in a farm family, and uh, you had chores. You get up early, you do your chores, and then you go to school, and then you come back, and you do your chores. Uh, I was lucky. I was in athletics, and so my older brother got to do the chores in the afternoon while I was in football or basketball or track. So, uh, so the, uh, the task seems to be to grow up, and different people have different meanings by that. But uh, from my standpoint, it's not only to accept uh, our reincarnation and past lives, but it's also to get ready for being a cosmic citizen. In fact, one of the papers I think I sent a copy to you, you know, are ET experiencers planetary persons, or are they becoming cosmic citizens? And so when we're ready, I think the, uh, the announcement of the... Um, uh, disclosure of the extraterrestrial presence will occur, and also I think the announcement about the energy technologies will occur. Yeah, I want to talk to you um, more about that, but I also wanted to tell you that I am truly impressed that you know about SpongeBob. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, my wife and I have uh, three sons and a daughter, <clears throat> and uh, and we have seven grandchildren, ah, and so yeah. we, uh, we we get introduced to several cartoon characters. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, now we're going. I want to talk more about the you know the possibilities of free energy because I, you know, this is going off the UFO topic, and you know, forgive me for the diehard UFO people, but you know, this is fascinating to me. You know, first of all, we can talk about. Um, Tesla and how, um, you know, some people said he was crazy. Um, some people said, um, you know, um, he had the death ray um, and, you know, they stole his papers. The government um, is pretty well known. The government took his all his papers um, yeah, when, there's a when book he died. That, uh, there's a book that gives a good account of his uh, <clears throat> history called Man Out of Time. Uh, mm. a female writer. I'm having trouble remembering her name right now, but uh, it's a it's an excellent uh, description of yep. uh, what uh, Tesla went through. Right, and you know everything. We look around us today, and you know, sure, eventually things may have been invented, but everything we see around us the the light switch, the, the alternating current. You know, that was his. Uh, he was, I believe, he was like walking along, and all of a sudden had like an epiphany and scratched it out on um, 
the idea out on a, a sand with a stick or something. Um, you know, this is, um, you know, all this. You yeah, know, he, and Edison, from, he and Edison were kind of uh, struggling yeah. over you know, whether alternating direct current, current and, or direct current is better. And, of course, alternating current had more advantages. Than oh, that. yeah. And, uh, you know, there was a terrible uh, rivalry between them. But you, you think of this, and the, the poor man um, could have had all this money from Westinghouse. He let this thing go about the horsepower. I remember something about that. But um, he could have been a millionaire. Westinghouse was hurting at the time and, and let the whole contract go. All I'm getting at is this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man was hardly recognized in his lifetime and died mostly penniless, which yeah. is such a shame. Uh, the same way with uh, Royal Rife. <clears throat> he developed the cancer cure technology and... Uh, uh, several physicians, uh, MDs, were uh, helpful uh, uh, to him. But then later on, according to some people, the um, uh, the powers that be took over that information. And now uh, Royal Rife's technology is not available uh, medically. Uh, I I sent some, you know, along with that material I sent to you, I've sent that out to a dozen various editors <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, in various, you know, newspapers, journals, um, magazines, uh, societies, <clears throat> and it's fascinating to me. And no one has acknowledged receiving the materials, and uh, uh, I—that's okay. If, but I hope that somebody uh, will inform the powers that be that uh, more and more people recognize there is free energy. There are more and more people around the planet who know about this, <clears throat> whereas here in the U.S. we uh, we seem to feel numbed by what we are told uh, about free energy. Yeah. Um, I, I, there's someone that wanted, that wanted to know, were you, have you ever been threatened by any of your research into this? No. Uh, <clears throat> Probably no need to threaten me. I'm not that important. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the professors uh, uh, kind of muzzle their own. You know, professors aren't supposed to be outspoken. We're supposed to be quiet and, and uh, gentle and so forth. So I'm assuming that anybody who uh, is in a position to know uh, about what I know uh, recognizes that I don't, I don't have much influence yeah, well, um, I'm going to tell a story that I believe I've never told on this, but it's a, it's an interesting one. Now, my father was um, never known to fib. Um, he had a sense of humor, but, you know, he was serious about this. Um, back in, like, 1974, you know, right after the uh, quote-unquote gas shortage uh, crisis and all that, um, he had a friend that bought um, a brand new Buick and um, it was a you know V8 and all that and he drove it for a couple hundred miles and noticed the gas uh, the gas gauge was broken so he pulled into a gas station and it took uh, just about two gallons so he's thinking what's going on here <laughs> he, he, he lifted the hood and he saw um, there was uh, this uh, bright orange thing test equipment so he he drove it back to the dealership, and um, they wouldn't let him take the car off the lot. And he finally settled for 
two free vehicles, one for himself and one for his wife, and he actually settled for them. You know, this is... Uh, now, I can tell you one thing. My father believed that that story and believed his friend. And um, I, I don't know. I can't verify anything. I don't even remember who it is because it was so long ago. But the story always stuck with me because um, it has always baffled me and still baffles me to this day where the best you can get is a Prius that gets 50 miles to the gallon at, and um, I just don't believe it with all the uh, technology that yeah. we have that um, we can't do yeah. better than that. Some people say that the uh, automakers uh, <clears throat> have a lot of generators and uh, gradually are releasing, you know, bit by bit. So <clears throat> that as the gasoline um, supplies go down within the, the number of uh, miles goes up, but sooner or later, we'll get to the free energy, the Tesla, and then we can have electric cars without burning uh, fossil fuels to create the electricity. If you, um, th- there's a couple of theories um, out there kicking around, and one of them is that if all of a sudden free energy was discovered and implemented, that the world econ- economy would, would crush and fall. And, and what do you... What are your thoughts on that? And then, and then, of course, there's the one where the, you know, the the energy companies would do, uh, would, you know, wage war against anyone that would get close to something like that. Yeah, I I'm not trained as an economist, and I don't know what uh, would happen in the short run. It might be disastrous, uh, but uh, I I grew up in a world of uh, economic depression. <clears throat> World War II comes along. My older brother went in the Air Force. I went in uh, during the Korean time. Uh, a lot of changes happened in our lives, and we adapted to them. My feeling about humanity is that uh, if free energy were introduced, it'd take a while, it'd take a few years <clears throat> for uh, us to convert from coal and oil and gasoline to uh, these uh, devices, just like it uh, takes a while for a city to uh, create a new uh, power station <clears throat> and a new power grid. Uh, so my uneducated uh, economic philosophy is that uh, the economics uh, is not as difficult as the emotional reaction of those who are going down. Uh, my general belief, and I feel quite strong about this, is that all over the planet the patriarchy is coming down. Uh, I mentioned one. I'll mention one book that helps people if they want to read it. It's called The End of Men and the Rise of Women <laughs> by Hannah Rosen or Rosen R O S I N. Chapter after chapter, she shows that there are more women leaders in uh, military, law, academic world, uh, the business world. Um, these, these women are just as competent as men, <clears throat> but they are more uh, compassionate and they are more willing to uh, discuss matters. They're, they're willing to negotiate. So uh, men tend to be more competitive and uh, uh, these uh, women leaders are more cooperative. 
Now, they, she says that the, the two areas is not yet true, that women are the primary leaders uh, in the U.S. One example is the Congress. There are more males than females in the Congress, and there are more males than females in mega corporations. Because some people argue that we don't have a, quote, democracy, unquote, we have a, 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 a system built on um, corporation. We have a corporacy. Uh, that's the, and that really determines whether we are good, bad, or indifferent. For example, there's recent uh, uh, dust-up about uh, religious uh, freedom, religious liberty in Indiana. It was so intriguing to me to see that uh, Walmart and some of the other corporations came in and said, hey, uh, we don't want to have people discriminating against gays. Uh, we've got this kind of a business operation going. And uh, <clears throat> some people said that the Indiana lawmakers are listening as much to the corporations as they are to the people. <laughs> hmm. So so it's an interesting question as... Uh, uh, are the corporations uh, pro-democracy? Are they pro-business? Are they pro-well? It's interesting because more and more people, no matter whether we are U.S. citizens or whether we are from Nairobi or Australia, more and more people uh, are are less and less violent. <clears throat> Even though there are wars going on and people are losing their lives, uh, being shot and bombed, in general, uh, the level of violence is coming down. And in general, there are more and more people who are gathering in groups uh, in a peaceful way to demonstrate for their particular view, whether it's uh, anti-racial or anti-ageism uh, uh, or whatever it is. that. Uh, uh, and I find it exciting because we have been basing our philosophy on fight, fight cancer, fight discrimination, mm -hmm. fight, 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 fight. War uh, on drugs, yeah. And whereas people who are Christians say, Jesus said, love thy neighbor as thyself, which is fascinating because that means we've got to love ourselves first, then our neighbor, and then our God. Whereas the patriarchs, they turn it around, they say, oh, God damn it, you got to love you got to, well, you got to fear, not love. you got to fear God, and then fear your neighbor, and then fear yourself. So the, uh, the patriarchal view that men not only protect women and children, but possess women and children, and possess Mother Earth, and can rape her for oil and gas, and go, that, that philosophy is shifting. And it would suggest to me that not only are we going to have more uh, female leaders, but we're also going to have a more peaceful world. Wow. Getting back um, to, you know, stepping back to the energy situation, you know, I, uh -huh. I really, really hope that, I mean, that would be the answer to so many things, but also just the fact that we're actually heading toward doom the way, um, you know, for instance, um, every single week, every single week, China is opening a new coal plant power plant and you know the coal burning we're doing is is out of control and there's you know there's mercury in the water because of it there's um, um there's going to be uh you know and i i have a, a person that's been on the show he's a friend um 
um, he's in Beijing, and he can't go out of the house without wearing a mask. That's wow. how you know. That's how they live. Um, it's it's getting nasty, and then um, the air currents will bring the um, acid rain and coal fallout over to the United States and the East Coast mostly. So, you know, I mean, there's there's something that has to be addressed with this. Yes, and then on the other side of it, the increase in nuclear weapons is also a threat <clears throat> to peace on the planet. Uh, there are efforts uh, both to uh, decrease the number of bombs <clears throat> and to negotiate uh, arms treaty uh, versus the other uh, side of where people... Uh, want to destroy the neighbor, you know, whether Iran and Israel can uh, actually learn to cooperate, uh, even though they have, uh, quote, different gods, unquote, different ETs uh, in their background. So uh, the, it seems to me that one can either take the um, negative point of view that says we are killing ourselves, we are destroying the planet, which is true, uh, or take the point of view <clears throat> if we uh, want to stop that, then we have to embrace, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if you ever see this cartoon called, uh, um, what is it called? Uh, um, anyway, it's of a character, a swine, who's kind of a naive and a rat that's kind of sly and shifty, and other, other animal characters, <clears throat> and the piglet is uh, trying to be nice and he says love thy neighbor and the rat looked at him and said have you seen my neighbor <laughs> so same way with israelis and the iranians they're going to have to learn to live together on this planet otherwise uh, nuclear war and uh, we destroy the entire planet or at least partial and make it rough so to me i take the point of view that it's a uh, Initiation. It's a crisis, and I'm hoping that we pass it successfully. Although one of my friends, who was kind of a skeptic, he said, "Hey, Leo, you're always talking about peace and nonviolence, and so on." He said, "What if, what if we blow ourselves up?" And I said, "Well, we'll pick up our souls and we'll go to another planet and start all over." <laughs> oh, he looked at me. He said, "Oh, shit." <laughs> he couldn't couldn't handle the idea that we could start all over again. <laughs> Wow, wow. Um, so, uh, getting back, um, well, no, I, I actually want to talk a little more about this because okay. you've been around this for, for such a long time. And what do you think about um, the work that, like, Robert Hastings has done on, you know, nuclear warheads when it comes to the UFO yeah. uh, um, interruptions and things like that? Have you ever looked into that topic at all? Yeah, he wrote a book uh, about nukes and UFOs, right. <clears throat> talking to uh, uh, military, ex-military people, not people who are active, uh, about uh, their encounters. <clears throat> and what's intriguing to me is that uh, over and over there have been bases where the power has turned off and the nuclear warheads sit in the silo and they aren't uh, sent. So... It would suggest uh, to me as a reader, and I'm not familiar with nuclear warheads or with, uh, you know, what it takes to run a military base. Um, I, I do know over in Cheyenne there are silos and missiles at the ready. 
but it would suggest to me that the ETs know how to turn it off, and so they are demonstrating it. And they're saying, you guys got to learn some other way to deal with one another <clears throat> and then learn to deal with us, and we'll come and help you when you're ready. So that's my philosophy, and that's what I hope to instill uh, in the uh, hearts and minds and souls of those around me. Wow. Um yeah, you know that whole that whole thing. I've had you know I've had Robert on. I've had uh, Bob Salas and and oh, yeah. you know when they someone that has a, a firsthand um, experience. It's just you just can't explain that stuff away. It's just just too it's too baffling. It doesn't you know a, a skeptic can't can't really deal with that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the best thing for a skeptic is to have the experience. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the person is yeah. no longer skeptical. Exactly, and um, you know that that does that does happen. I mean, you know, I've I've heard, for instance, um, an astronomer talk about that. Um, I was on Bill and Nancy Burns' show the other night, and Bill mentioned that um, um, some astronomers that were doing detailed work. I forget exactly what he said, but they see UFOs and they get mad because um, they're taking a picture and it gets in the picture and it frustrates them. They have to take it over again for like a constellation <laughs> or something. I don't know how uh, I don't know how how accurate that is, but it it sure it sure sounds great. Um, when you have gone through all this time, um, have your interests changed in different directions, or you're pretty much open to the the whole topic I've been open to the uh, whole topic although <clears throat> my training is not technical and so uh, uh, for example uh, many of my friends in MUFON Mutual UFO Network uh, <clears throat> and I uh, get a copy of the journal uh, but I I've found myself over the years becoming less and less interested in a detailed report of the sighting, which began at 6:43 and ended at 10:52, and and this light and that light, <laughs> I find myself much more interested in the people. Uh, for example, with Betty and Barney Hill, um, uh, it was such a relief to talk with them compared to the other 1966 TV program when we were talking about flying saucers. Is it true or is it false? Uh, it seems to me that a lot of time was used to uh, debate uh, something that should be a non-issue. So to me, uh, the secret keepers have uh, uh, kept up not only with lies, <clears throat> but they're much more skilled than just telling lies, like say, no, you're a stupid shit, you don't know what you're talking about. They say, oh, uh, do, you, do you know about clouds? Do you know about cumulus versus uh, this kind of cloud? And so, so this <clears throat> question, 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 and doubt, doubt, doubt allows <clears throat> the um, secret keepers to keep the secret uh, while the rest of us uh, go about, well, I don't know everything, and so maybe they know what they're talking about, and maybe I didn't really see a flying saucer, maybe I didn't really talk to an ET. No, uh, <clears throat> that's part of the uh, master plan, is to cloud or disguise 
or to disrupt uh, the public awareness that the ETs are here. The ETs have energy technologies. <clears throat> as soon as we grow up and play nice, uh, we can use the energies to develop a better planet and a better humanity. When you when you uh, look into the topic of the um, UFO technology, what are what are your ideas, or what have you heard over the years that makes more sense to you, like the anti gravity or whatever it is, how they can do the ninety yeah. degree turn uh, and all I, that? I've read different things. I don't have enough technical knowledge to be able to evaluate it, but uh, <clears throat> I know that uh, some uh, engineers have. Uh, uh, been, a guy named Rich, for example, was quoted in one of, I can't remember whether it was Robert Hastings' book or another of uh, the UFOs and nukes, uh, quoted in one of the books as saying, uh, when asked about uh, uh, energy technology, he said, uh, uh, he said that uh, uh, it's not like a chemical propulsion. You know, we use chemical rockets to move to the moon or whatever. This is more like the speed of thought. <clears throat> and I don't know whether electrical propulsion systems, uh, what's involved from a physical standpoint, but I know that physicists now talk differently than they did 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, the physicists uh, in the old days, <clears throat> the old science, uh, the scientist was objective, and he, 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 he was uh, the observer. Now, the quantum physicists talk about uh, everything is connected. Ions, atoms, molecules, everything is connected. And the scientist is a participant. Much different attitude about science, <clears throat> much different attitude about physics. Uh, so that obviously uh, some extraterrestrials have found energy sources that allow them to move uh, vehicles in different ways than through chemical propulsion. Yeah, yeah, it, it's the only thing that that makes any sense, and and we have so much to explore in, in quantum mechanics, quantum physics, and um, I don't know if you heard that CERN is uh, um, actually they're they're actually think they may have some type of breakthrough into another dimension that uh, they may prove uh, in a short time. I don't know if you heard anything about that, but it's... No, I haven't. I, years ago, I talked uh, briefly with uh, Edgar Mitchell, <clears throat> Dr. Mitchell, of course, yep. uh, uh, has uh, helped the noetic sciences and done much to uh, illuminate uh, the connection between uh, energy sources and uh, uh, ET observations. Um, right. Right. Yep. Um, I was trying. I've been trying to get Dr. Mitchell on the show. Um, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, but um, um, I would love to have him on. He's he, another person you might be interested in is uh, Dr. Jones, Dr. C. B. Scott Jones. He's a former Navy commander, and he's been on the inside, uh, knowing something about the military attitudes. Uh, but also hoping to uh, uh, move the public along to public disclosure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not actually familiar with him. Um, I'll look into it though. Um, let's see. Moving along, um, back. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, abductees. 
Um, have you actually done regression with many of them, hypnosis regression? Yes, I have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And have you seen a consistency throughout the years? Uh, in the sense of uh, the reports, <clears throat> each person feels individual. You know, my experience is my experience. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> the pattern that I see is that uh, the people who are courageous and who explore <clears throat> and try to understand, they uh, do better than the people who are frightened and huddle over in the corner. Uh, so I encourage people, uh, when they're ready, not only to explore through uh, hypnosis their encounter, but also to find out, was it an abduction? Were they taken or were they invited? Or did they invite the uh, the person, <clears throat> the ETs, to come? Uh, just like, uh, it's kind of a silly story, but I tell, what if a high school student said, I was abducted. These guys came and they took me to a college campus. <laughs> and there are a whole bunch of students and there are a whole bunch of teachers and instructors and professors. <clears throat> well, was that an abduction or was that initiation? Mm. Uh, so right. uh, I encourage people to consider the possibility that what they feel was uh, being taken away <clears throat> from the earth was actually being taken toward the stars. Yeah, um, we had a, a message up on the board here, but I think you've more or less addressed it, um, wanting to know what you, your opinion is, opinion is of the whole phenomena. Um, what, what would E.T. or whatever it is happening here be up to? Yeah. Some people said that there's two jobs. <clears throat> um, one is to uh, educate, <clears throat> and the other is to monitor. Um, the monitoring is what most people uh, think about. <clears throat> I'll call it the MUFON phase. You know, we are being monitored, <clears throat> and here was a craft that showed up, or here was a object, and so forth. Uh, <clears throat> and so if we think in terms of uh, the usual human response, is that we are being surveyed, we are being surveilled, we are being checked on. Uh, and... Uh, that, of course, uh, frightens some people, just like uh, some people are frightened because the police are uh, checking on them. Uh, but are the police checking on them to uh, uh, to harm them? Well, in some cases, uh, some racial minorities feel, yes, that's happened. Uh, and uh, so we have uh, the feeling that if we're being surveyed, if we're being monitored, that that's a negative thing. But other people say, hey, I'm glad that the police are checking on our neighborhood because we've got something strange going on here. So <clears throat> so the um, the focus that I take is that, yeah, I've been interested in the monitoring, and I, <laughs> I used to read all the reports I could get, but then I became more and more interested in the people and uh, less and less interested in what they saw or what they experienced. I wanted them to tell me what they uh, learned from the experience. It's like, you know, exit polls, and you find out what people did in the voting. 
uh, to me, that's more fun than it is in a pre-poll. And in the same way, to find out from people after their encounter, uh, rather than to talk to people about the possibility of an encounter. I I have to say that uh, the thing that I I think makes most sense is more along exactly what you just said, and that is... um, you know, I, I I think it's very possible that we are being uh, watched. Um, you know, maybe that's someone as a thinking I might be going out there a little bit uh, on a limb um, by saying that. But it does kind of make you wonder if we're being uh, observed and, and watched with all the, you know, all the sightings that go on and, and the uh, supposed uh, ton of abductions that happen. And all that, it just kind of makes you wonder what else it could be, really. Sure. And many people say that their UFO sighting fits in terms of a message. Just like uh, some people said, are there connections between the extraterrestrial experiences and the uh, um, crop circles? And um, some uh, UFO researchers don't want to mix up those things. They don't want they don't want me to mix up ESP and reincarnation and uh, messages along with the sightings. They, you know, that's just stay one with one thing. Uh, the trouble is, it's like saying uh, uh, we want to stay with one topic in a college. Now, what would that topic be? Would that be science? Would that be history? <laughs> would that be art? Would that be music? <laughs> no, if you're going to study the colleges and universities, you're going to have to find that uh, there are many, many, many topics. Someone wants to know, now, I've, I've, I think I've only heard someone say an account of this one time before, but someone wants to know, have you ever heard about E.T. where they were dropping cars? I think I heard something about that in a cornfield one time. Dropping cars? You mean like automobiles? Right. <laughs> I think there was a story about that in some cornfield and some farm where mm. this came over and a car was dro- dropped from it, evidently picked up from somewhere else. Oh, interesting. Uh, I'm not familiar with that uh, case, <clears throat> but if I were to read it, uh, one of the questions that would come to my mind is... Uh, was anybody in it? <laughs> right. And where was it picked up? And and then, uh, you know, is there a connection? Is there a message? That's that's always the question that comes to my mind. Is there a message in the experience? Um, yeah, right. Um, all the cases that you've researched over the years, is there any one that stands out to you where you you think of it often like that was really something? Well, there have been so many, I, I don't know. You know, like like a woman who's uh, from Canada, Carr, she wrote about her experiences. <clears throat> uh, so many people write about their experiences. Uh, what stands out to me is not so much the experience, but how the person handled it. Uh, just like in counseling, <clears throat> when I would work with a college student, there are some students who came in with stories of poverty, some of discrimination, some people with sexual abuse, with uh, verbal abuse uh, or neglect. Uh, there are all kinds of stories <clears throat> of people who are suffering. What intrigues me is when a person um, uses the suffering 
not only to uh, deal with his or her situation, but also to help others. And we find this over and over and over, <clears throat> that the people who, in my opinion, are heroic are the women or the men or the boys or the girls who not only uh, learn to help themselves, but learn to help others. Uh, on the tonight's um, uh, news, we see some of the stories of people who suffered uh, injuries or loss of limb <clears throat> at the Boston um, Marathon when the bombs exploded. And uh, uh, some of the families, <clears throat> some of the people uh, may feel hate toward the bombers, but many of the people didn't focus so much on the bombers as they focused on how they learned uh, how to get an artificial leg, how to walk, <clears throat> and then how to help other people who are learning how to walk. And so those are the stories that intrigue me, uh, not only overcoming suffering, but helping others to who deal with their suffering. Right, yeah. And I think, I think that is... Um you know, part of our culture and also part of how things work is, um, for instance, you know, you were talking earlier about free and other associations like that mm-hmm. where people can share, you know, and, and the, the gentleman you were speaking to, his legs were shaking. He was so nervous talking about it. Um, but those people or the people I have talked to seem to get a real sense of relief. And if this was truly happening to me, I don't know. I don't know how I could, you know, live a normal life. Uh, okay, there's a someone who wanted to know, did you investigate um, reproduction cases? Yeah, I've worked with uh, some people who say that they have a hybrid child. Some people report being on craft and seeing the hybrid children. Um, some people uh, feel like they have uh, had sexual uh, encounters with ETs. <clears throat> some feel that they have served more as, um, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, implants, that they have become pregnant without uh, sexual activity. And then later the fetus was taken, <clears throat> and they were told by ETs that uh, that their child was uh, on board and uh, circling the planet. Uh, what some people have assumed, and I don't know if this is true, but what some people have felt was that this is a secondary program. The primary program is to help uh, humans grow up and get ready for returning to the stars. But the secondary program is if we don't, if we kill ourselves off or we destroy the planet, <coughs> uh, or at least destroy humanity, then the hybrid children would uh, take over and they would be able to uh, replenish the, the planet. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's an interesting uh, view that it's not a primary program, but a secondary program. Well, they'd have to live with radiation because that's probably the way we'd go out. You yeah, know. probably so. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking about that earlier and that's, uh, um, I think there was a some documentary I was watching about the nukes and, you know, we have certainly, we have cut them down, but, um, I think it's like 20 times we can blow ourselves up. It's, it's, it's scary. And, yeah. and then all it's going to take is, uh, 
some misread situation or, or a third world country or whatever it is, you know, engaging. Uh, it is a, it is scary times, and uh, you know, there's nothing we can do to um, unring the bell. And oh yes, oh yes, there are things we can do. Are you familiar with Ho'oponopono? No. Uh, Let's hear about uh, that. There's a book called Zero Limits. Zero Limits by a guy named Joe Vital. In Italy, it'd be Vitale, and uh, Joe Vital <clears throat> tells the story of Dr. Hugh Lin a Ph.D. psychologist, uh, Japanese-American, who was living in Hawaii. And uh, Dr. Lin uh, borrowed uh, a a process from a woman, a Hawaiian woman. She uh, used Ho'oponopono in dealing with uh, contentious family issues, people who were uh, quarreling with their uh, family members. And... uh, so he developed kind of an individualized approach uh, to uh, use it. Uh, the story goes that uh, he would sit in his office and he'd look at the chart of an inmate. He was in a criminally insane ward in hospital. <clears throat> so there'd be rapists or killers who were housed in the ward <clears throat> in the prison. And he would look at the chart of a killer or a rapist or whoever, and he would send a message to the universe and to the individual soul of the person, primarily for himself. <clears throat> um, he would he would look at the photo and he'd say, I love you, I'm so sorry for my perception of you, please forgive me, thank you. In other words, he was saying, I perceive you as a criminal, I perceive you as a killer or a rapist or whatever, but I'm sorry for my perception. <clears throat> his thesis is that uh, he is responsible for his perceptions as well as his actions. Now, in our society, we, uh, we think we are good because we are responsible for our actions. If I step on your toe and I break it, <clears throat> well... Your friends would say, hey, Leo, come on, pay the uh, medical bill for uh, Martin because you stepped on his toe and you broke it. Well, if I have a perception of you that is bothersome to me, then I can use Ho'oponopono to deal with my perception. So uh, what happened was intriguing. Not only did he feel better about himself working with these guys, but also, according to observers, <clears throat> after a few weeks and after a few months, the shackles came off, the medications went down, the staff would come to work, they were no longer threatened or attacked, and then after four or five years, the ward was closed. There were still some common criminals who were sent to other prisons, but they were no longer insane. So here's a beautiful process, and to me, it not only fits uh, in mystical, uh, religious, spiritual views, but it also fits uh, the modern quantum physics world of uh, uh, the physicists who say that everything is connected. If a person feels that the uh, people who are holding on to the secrets of the ETs and the, and the people who are holding on to uh, their fear of... Uh, encroachment by ETs or by uh, their neighboring uh, 
nations, they can use Ho'oponopono. I love you. I'm so sorry for my perception of you, you asshole, you jerkhead. Please forgive me. Thank you. So the process is meant to assist the person who's going through it, but it seems as if the process helps the rest of us, too. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, through your long career in this, or or study, or interest, have you ever been frustrated the way things are going, or um, you sort of got out of it for a while, or have you been steady at it ever since? I'll, I'll continue with it. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the frustration... Uh, that I would feel as a human is there, just like when I was told that I couldn't be professor of psychology, so I became professor of counseling services. Uh, and just like I was told, <clears throat> don't do uh, reincarnation research or UFO research during the office hours, so I do it after hours. Then when I left, uh, I was told, you know, I left the university, I said, okay, I can't continue uh, because the pressure was not only to not do my research, <clears throat> the pressure was on me as a person. And uh, so I would say ho'oponopono to people, and I left the university and went into a private practice. So uh, it uh, it's better from my standpoint for me not to dwell too much on hate and fear to mm-hmm. me, uh, I was taught as a Christian boy that you should uh, uh, dwell on love and compassion. Right, right. Um, on the message board, someone wanted to know that um, they heard that someone talked to Heineck, um, someone from the dead. Um, I'm trying to understand that exactly. Stating mm-hmm. that ETs were not what we think. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, what the heck are they then type of thing that's interesting and that may be true but i myself uh, when i talked with uh, alan heineck I, I was on a board we'd meet each year to discuss uh, cases i don't remember him saying anything to the rest of us along that line but it may be true so what was he, he, he was, like um to work he with? was interesting oh he was yeah. very bright and very charming a gentleman <clears throat> A quiet sense of humor, um, and uh, I enjoyed uh, work. When he left the uh, group, well, it was no longer the same. <clears throat> um, he died in '85, and it was in- intriguing because he and uh, Jacques Vallée, also another PhD uh, astronomer, <clears throat> they uh, they talked about the UFO experience. Um, they uh, I think, in, from my point of view, they covered more things than just, quote, abductions, unquote, you know, people feeling like they were taken away. They, they worked with a lot of different kinds of people and felt like there were more messages um, that were available. And Valet, of course, had a more historical point of view than many uh, UFO researchers, and so he he saw these kinds of stories in cultural mores and uh, cultural themes, much more open than the average researcher. Oh, I see. Um, you know, we only have 
uh, we only have a minute left. So okay. real, real quickly, um, that was supposedly that someone had channeled Hynek after he died. I don't know if you ever heard oh. anything. Did you ever hear anything about that? No, I haven't, but I'd be glad yeah. to hear about it. Yeah. yeah, no, I don't have any information on it. It's just okay. that this was up on, on the message board. Um, this has been um, a real pleasure. I consider you, you know, an icon. Um, you know, like I said, you're... Name has been in print everywhere, and I've heard your name over and over countless times. And um, so it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you tonight. Well, it's a pleasure talking with you. You allowed me to speak freely, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, it's um, it's always nice speaking to people that are intelligent and have an open mind. I, I think, <laughs> um, I think it's um, you know, and we still have no real answer, but it's um. It, it really is uh, interesting to hear the different points of view. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for helping out with the show tonight. This is Martin Willis reminding you to keep your eyes to the sky. Mm-hmm.